Hey, man, good to see you, bro. It's been a long time. Yeah, man. What you been up to? I you know, not much. Just just working. I've been like really busy lately. Yeah, same. Me too, man. Uh, putting a lot of hours in. Yeah, I'll tell you. Seems like it only gets harder every year. Sure does. I wish I could just have a piece of property, work a reasonable amount, and be left alone. Yeah, man, that would be the dream, right? No rat race. Not have to keep chasing a dollar. It'd be so great. Self-sufficient, total freedom. Yeah. But it better be tough to keep that up by yourself. I mean, imagine living out in a cabin in the woods. It's a lot of maintenance for one person. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I suppose you need, like, a family. A pretty big family, probably. Yeah, especially if you had enough property for self-subsistence. That must be why farmers and frontier types have so many kids, huh? I mean, if you want to use your space and resources efficiently, it would make more sense to even have, like, a few families on several homesteads all working together. Hmm, now you're cooking with gas. 20 minutes later. No, I understand, and I, I agree. We should have small, close-knit communities delegating labor and resources as efficiently as possible, and with no coercion or use of force to achieve the community's goals. But how do we decide on both what measures to take regarding behaviors that are antisocial, things like murder, theft, whatever, and also how to enforce those corrective measures without cultivating an in-group of thugs who have immunity from the law and a monopoly on violence? Yeah, and, you know, what do we do about human nature? One hour later... Well, I did some Googling. And it turns out that there have been a variety of so-called utopian projects, communes, intentional communities, and the like over the centuries. Oh, really? Yeah, there were tons, from the more popular ones like the Paris Commune to the modern, more infamous types like Jonestown. Ooh, yeah, that's not a good model. No, definitely not. But there were quite a few good ones, actually. Some made real progress in devising methods of production that not only met everyone's basic needs, but allowed them to live in relative luxury, obviously for the time period, but especially when compared with the amount of time needed from each person to sustain that level of material comfort. That's incredible. I'm surprised I've never heard of this before. Yeah, if you would even manage to structure their leadership in such a way that it was almost entirely horizontal, with authority being derived from experience and competence of the tasks rather than nepotism or bias. Wow, that seems amazing. Like, suspiciously amazing. As in, too good to be true? I know, I thought so too. But this is all plain historical record from a variety of sources, even those that would have an interest in downplaying the accomplishments of these projects because of their own governments or founders are ideologically opposed to that utopian system they're documenting. Interesting, interesting. So it sounds like one of those kind of buried in obscurity situations. It's not hidden now, it's just kind of boring to find. Yeah, exactly. Well, it seems to me that if these utopian societies were really that good, people during the time they existed in would have been fleeing their oppressive monarchs and governors to join these communities, right? Oh, they did. There are hundreds of stories like this, but these also don't get much attention today. And because media at the time didn't spread as fast, it was harder to get the word out about your utopian commune, of course. Oh, of course, of course. So then, what happened to those utopian projects? Different things. I mean, though they all obviously fizzled out eventually. Some fell to corruption or squabbles between members, others due to bad decisions in their governance or even just their infrastructure. Ah, uh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, but the really interesting thing is what happened to the most successful ones. The projects that attracted enough people that they became a threat to the powerful elites of the time. Uh-oh. I think I see where this is going. Yep. They were crushed. Brutally and swiftly. Ugh. Yeah, that's what I was afraid of. Yeah. Turns out uh, that a lot of these peaceful, voluntarist societies had trouble competing with ruthless land and business owners who didn't feel compelled by any social contract to allow these communities to flourish, and instead... They use their professional mercenaries, or even through back-channel deals, armies of the actual governments, and in the most extreme cases, went to the lengths of manufacturing consent for an entire war, simply to protect their business interests. Wow. That's like an insane amount of length to go through. 
Yeah. And the craziest part was the wild justifications they would use to fight these wars. Made up stories about exploitation or bizarre torture for reasons that are unclear or make no sense at all. And often bear an uncanny resemblance to real atrocities those rulers were committing against their own people. And from which the utopians were freeing people with their commune. That's crazy. Just the level of hypocrisy, like accusing the people that are freeing your subjects of doing the things that you're doing to them. Yeah, it's despicable. But getting back to the point about what allowed these projects to succeed longer than others, it seems, from my googling at least, that one of the most common failures made up by the utopians was to fail at fighting the battle against the elites and their warlords on the terms dictated by the conditions for reasons of principle or ideology. For example, refusing to raise an army, or relying solely on voluntary enlistment rather than conscription like their enemies, or sticking to only telling the truth in their communications to their citizens, while their opponents lied and propagandized freely and often. Oh, so playing the rules in a game of cheaters, basically. Yeah, it's a tough situation, because even when they made concessions and were able to fight the oligarchs at their own game, it gave their opponents the opportunity to say, look, they're not utopian at all, they're doing the same things we are, ha ha ha. But it was only because they had to, they had no choice. Yeah, of course, and for the purpose of liberation rather than enslavement. But even if it were the case, you're just as bad as me is a terrible criticism. What do you say? Yeah, and pretty effective. Yeah. Well, what about instead of trying to form a commune and defend its sovereignty with militants, you turn an existing government into your own utopian structure? Yeah, that's a good idea. Sort of hijack its legitimacy in the eyes of the other nations, and more importantly the governments, to avoid attack. Yeah, that actually might work. And the added advantage of the institutions of trade, local government, and infrastructure are already there for the taking. So how would you do this? A quick and bloody overthrow where you replace officials with those friendly to the new order? Or something slower, maybe even over the course of generations, where you reform the system itself through coordinated efforts? Possibly public and legal? Or secret and illicit? Maybe a mixture of both? Two hours later. Well, I did some more Googling. And it appears that every organization that had attempted to reform, legally, illegally, or both, an exploitative system into one that both benefited and was directed by the working class, eventually capitulated right back into exploitation, often for the same reasons of playing by the rules in a cheater's game, as you put it earlier. Even if they cheated, the inherent advantage of the elite oligarchs and their control over the levers of power, as well as their existing perceived legitimacy in the minds of the citizens, proved to be too much for the reformist utopians to ever overcome. That's a damn shame. Yeah, I mean, obviously, reform and education seems not only like the easier, kinder, more tolerable path for everyone involved, it just feels like common sense, you know? Yeah. I mean, although, and this is kind of a creepy thought, I suppose it would be pretty convenient for the wealthy elites in power if the, quote, common sense of their citizenry led them toward the less effective route. Yeah, it makes you wonder how a culture arrives at what is common sense. Because, of course, different times and places have had wildly different ideas about what is or isn't common sense. And the general consensus has, of course, changed just as systems of production and even government have, with varying speeds. Three hours later. Okay, so it turns out that this idea of what is commonly accepted in a culture, particularly when it's purposely generated and tightly controlled by the ruling class, pretty much is the definition of ideology. When the rulers impose this on their subjects through things like organized religion, journalist media, cultural media like entertainment, and of course the government, it reinforces the system of exploitation no matter how unnatural or alienating it may feel to those subjects. They can be convinced to comply, often for generations. Huh. So ideology is a false way of seeing the world. Like a veil over your eyes, put there by your masters so that you can't even see what's really in front of you. Wow. You're so good at creeping me out with these analogies, man. I'm literally shuddering over here. 
Sorry, man. Give me another beer. Yeah, but you are right. I had always kind of thought of ideology as a way of seeing the world, which is kind of true. But the way I'd always thought of it was like purely political orientation or some kind of limited heuristic. But it's more like an all-encompassing mindset curated by and for a certain class. Mm. Oh, geez. I mean, if ideology is that deeply entrenched, then it's not surprising that revolution has been more successful than reform. Yeah, it, it makes me wonder what has been the most successful model for revolution. Many hours later. So the Leninist model 